the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hallman is back with us. It's been an awfully long time since uh, we've had him in. He has been on tour and on travel, and I'm glad because he brings uh, with him a lot of expertise for a bunch of the stuff we've been talking about. Hugh Hallman is, of course, the former mayor of Tempe, uh, and among other things, an attorney, but also a builder of schools, successful schools. And uh, with everything involved in all that, he's also the father of very good gentlemen boys uh, everything involved with men what Hugh's life men yeah men absolutely everything Hugh has done is relevant to what we've been discussing in his absence so now we can actually have Hugh like the Woody Allen movie we can actually present Marshall McLuhan and make our argument anyway Hugh uh you've been abroad uh, tell me yeah. first of all curious COVID um do we need to know anything about COVID that's why we started these things I don't want to spend too much time on it but talk to me about COVID I'll, a little bit I'll try we'll three get sentences. to school violence so three sentences on COVID so here I was traveling uh, abroad yet again and uh the reality is nobody outside the borders of these United States seems to care anymore they've just get they're done the United States and China are now a pair why do I say that? Because it is only the United States, as I'm traveling around with Europeans and others, uh, who mandates that their citizens take COVID tests to get back into their own damn country. Right. Right. So the U.S. government, thank you, Joe Biden, continues this insanity and worse, changed the protocol uh, at the end of December of last year. From you had to have a COVID test 72 hours before you board your plane to you have to have it within the calendar day. So imagine if you've got a very, very early flight on day three and you schedule your test uh, at six o'clock in the evening on day one, not on day two. You get up day two and you do whatever it is you're going to do and go to the go to the airport at two o'clock in the morning on day three. So something along the order of 26, 28 hours after you took the COVID test. That COVID test is not good to get you back into the United States. Unbelievable. And in talking with uh, folks, I uh, was in Ireland, for example. Uh, the uh, guy uh, from Ireland was really berating the United States for the fact that he said, you know, I understand if you've got a bunch of foreigners trying to get into the country. You don't know who they are, what they're doing. But why are you testing your own citizens and making them do that? Nobody else does that. And he's right. So why is it that our federal government and Joe Biden in particular can't get out of his own narrative? We've had a federal court tell him, sorry, you can no longer impose these mandates in airports or on, our, or on airlines. And yet you're still mandating a covid test to get on an airplane to come back to the country. So I have known of two cases where a traveler in Europe rerouted their flight to Mexico and then just crossed through Tijuana. Uh, I, I I proposed that to somebody very, very recently, like three days ago. It might be increasingly common. <laughs> that, that if nothing else, you could do that. And so our U.S. border cannot be secured, and we're not going to test people coming up uh, from our southern border. I don't know what we're doing about Canada. You know, those Canadians can't be trusted. But that that's the irony here. Yeah. If you're flying in from a Western world country, you've yeah. got to get a COVID test to get on an aircraft. Right. Interestingly... 
Masks. Not to go to Mexico, you don't. That's exactly right. <laughs> Not to and go to so Mexico. that's that's the COVID story. So also, I would add, I went back and just to take a look at how our Arizona Department of Health Services is continuing its process to track COVID. And uh, it has reported its last data on deaths was reported for the week of May 15th, that there were four COVID tests in the week of uh, deaths in the week of May 15th. That ended the 21st or 22nd. Okay. Four. There are none reported for the last week, mm-hmm. although the website says there are 40 deaths reported since last week. So there were no deaths last week, but there are 40 reported. This makes the point as clearly as uh, anything we've talked about over and over again this issue. The news used to report the deaths that are reported today as if they occurred yesterday. Mm-hmm as opposed to the fact that they occurred any time over the last two years in this instance since the COVID pandemic began. And they never corrected that effort. So the the U.S. citizenry got subjected to scare tactics by our own media about the numbers of deaths reported today. And the longer the pandemic went on, the more ridiculous that was because some of those deaths were a year and a half before. Right. They just happened to have finally been attributed to COVID. Now, remember, that's attributed to COVID along with comorbidities and other diseases, gunshot wounds, car accidents, all kinds of things. If you died in a car accident but were COVID positive, it was a COVID death. That's the kind of idiocy we've done. Enough of COVID. I want to talk a little bit for a moment, if you don't mind, about a a different topic we've not covered, but I hope we will cover it in some seriousness. The reason I'm saying this is your own station is raising money to help attack sex trafficking. That's as vital and important an issue in this state and across this country as any we face. It is underreported. Very little information is known by the average American and certainly the average Arizona, although Arizona is one of the hot spots for sex trafficking. Why? Because we're right on the border. Young ladies and young men get kidnapped and turned into prostitutes. And the devastation that comes from that is horrific. And interestingly, part of the reason we don't talk about it too much is because sports activities drive a lot of that uh, that sex trafficking uh, market. Why? Because when people travel to go to a World Series or they go to a Super Bowl or any other number of things, sex trafficking is introduced. That is to say that prostitution is a huge chunk of the after-party activity that takes place around those big public uh, sporting events. And we don't do enough to deal with it. And I just want to thank this station uh, that KKNT is taking that time and committing itself and its effort. And your general manager is doing that to try to bring attention to a very important issue. So I just want to. No, I'm glad you did. And we can talk about it. Uh, What we're doing to kids all over the place is, you know, one of the reasons. Matches COVID. Yeah. I mean, not just COVID, but what we're doing to them all over the place uh we yes thank you i let me direct people to our website if they're interested in helping out on that cause 960thepatriot.com take a look at the stop trafficking watch uh, shine a light to this darkness yes you bet um hugh one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is raising young men and keeping schools safe you've built successful schools First of all, three countries. Yes, that's actually my first question. Do they have the same problems in other countries? Do our kids have the same problems in other countries that we have here? And is it based on access to weapons or not? I think the data is 
pretty clear that access to weapons is not the issue. Okay. It is, I think, a society's imposition of penalties on the misuse of weapons and the society's willingness to recognize that uh, Switzerland is an example, that everyone should know how to use a weapon and that training matters. Uh, I've been puzzling over how we get at this with the recent events here uh, to stop the usual drumbeat and the uh, exploitation of horrific events. I thought your, your discussion of this oh, uh, since the events has been brilliant and acknowledging that we really need to allow people to grieve and understand the horror of this event without exploiting it for political ends. Uh, and yet some people will not let go of a crisis and can't uh, help themselves but use a crisis to advance their political interests. Uh, certainly we have somebody running for attorney general that you've uh, featured who has a very good, clear uh, vision of how we should deal with these kinds of things. I'll let you uh, say his name if you'd like, but uh, we You're have talking about Abe. I've had I, Abe I'm on. talking I've about Abraham. Abraham yeah, Abraham's right. uh, a, a very impressive guy, yeah. and his thoughts and comments about how we deal with gun violence and the Second Amendment are, I think, very very impressive. Uh, I have my views, and uh, it's probably still out there on a website someplace when I ran for state treasurer back in 2013-14. Because why would the state treasurer have to engage on that? Because everybody wanted to know one's opinion on uh, on the use of guns. It's interesting, your caller in the last hour about the accessibility to machine guns, one of the important pieces that came out of that conversation that I think gets lost is – there is a licensure requirement associated with owning and trading in machine guns that is ignored. And the left continues to use the phrase military-style right. weapons. Right. What on earth does that mean? It's got the wrong kind of stock. It looks really, really scary. Um, the the trafficking they're talking about or the purchase and sale and acquisition of those kinds of weapons are for single-fire weapons. The machine gun we're talking about that your, your caller was talking about is something that is licensed. There is something to be said about that. Certainly, we don't allow people to get hand grenades, so there's a line drawing problem here. How do we resolve this? Well, I'll tell you, Switzerland has figured it out. Everybody gets to learn how to use a weapon, and it's mandated, and you get to own one, and you have to own one. Kazakhstan, again, to, to fall back into that trench, uh, every person, young man, has to do military service. I gotta say, oh, learns uh, to do use weapons. Hold that thought, real quick. We uh, we gotta we gotta hit the break, real quick. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Such a delight to have my old friend Hugh Hallman, my longtime friend Hugh Hallman, back in the studio with us after his uh, travels abroad. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. The other part of all this, Hugh, um, is the physical part, and then I want to get to the young male part. Take it however you want. Um, there is something going on with young males in this country. That's one issue. The other is you've built schools here and elsewhere. Um, and the issue of hardening schools. The, the phrase I keep hearing is how do you take what are sometimes considered soft targets and turn them into harder targets? And, I, you know, how, do, how did you do it? How did you view it when, you, when you've built schools and when you manage schools? How do you – is it about the entrance? Is it about school resource officers? Uh, what is it? Certainly 
having the perimeter of a campus secured in a way that it can avoid people coming in and out who shouldn't be there is important. So when I went to our Arcadia where your daddy taught uh, in the 80s, um, it was pretty easy to get in and out. And there was a guy who was known as kind of the security guy. And uh, his biggest weapon was a keychain that had a million keys on it. Uh, and when I went back to visit, like two years later, after I graduated to go visit some teachers, I couldn't get in because they checked every single – I mean, I ultimately could, but it took some talking to someone and a gate and all kinds. Some schools here, a lot, have been have changed since the 1980s. Absolutely. So the Scott direction Still, you're talking about. Scottsdale School District took some significant steps to secure all of its campuses and eliminate – uh, frankly, open campus grounds. So my grade That's school and high school were open grounds. Those have all been changed and are now completely fenced, right. uh, and access is quite restrictive. Uh, many schools had taken the step of having the only entrance through a main office entrance door. That were, It's the only way to get in and out of the building, ultimately. Are there fire doors? Certainly. But every day, people are coming in and out of only a single location. Those kinds of activities can be modeled. It takes some money to do that. It's not impossible. But Frankly, the school that I'm probably the most proud of is Tempe Preparatory Academies, and that campus I could not secure. Um, and so it was a matter of having continuous conversations with teachers. We kept teachers uh, out on the campus grounds during the day. Why couldn't you secure just because physically it was physically impossible? it was impossible yeah, okay. at the time. Okay. Uh, and so uh, there was just not a, a way to do it. Now, I was working toward a... Uh, change of the campus structure to do that over time, and we that has more or less been completed. Um, but the reality is we just made sure people understood the risks for children and a school system, having teachers trained to be observant and keep their eyes out, and frankly, having students understand that as well. And so, uh, you know, thanks to God, we had no major incidences on our campus. Um, one of the challenges we still, however, face are students from a school who then bring in right. weapons and use them. And that is very hard to prevent unless you go to security systems. So now we've got to talk about what are, what's gone wrong in our culture yeah. that we've now reached a point where weapons are used at school uh, uh, to to do significant damage to human beings, or we have to think of schools as as terrorist uh, ter ter terrorist centers and treat them like we do getting on an airplane, right? Correct. Yeah. And and the the reality is we are not facing terrorists from outside our borders doing harm to our students. We are facing primarily young men who have lost their way, and when you start with that problem. You have to recognize all of the things that our society does with unintended consequences that exacerbate that problem. Let's just talk about, not to beat an old drum, but let's talk about COVID. Yeah. We spent two years where the, the, and I think you've made the point better than anybody, the prescription was to shut down schools not to protect students, but to protect adults from students because the students were not at risk for Bad outcomes uh, if they and there got weren't, COVID. And there weren't that many cases of transmission at school. Every Almost That's every correct. case we saw was from someone who brought it in from elsewhere, That's an correct. adult. That's yeah. correct. And so here we had very little analysis or understanding. The data 
pretty quickly showed us, and we talked about it on this show by May, Very June, quickly. and July Absolutely. of 2020, that shutting down schools was a prescription that had likely terrible outcomes uh, for those students. And that was bad mental health outcomes, bad educational outcomes, that we now have a class of kids who were to be in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, who missed the most important years of their education to create human beings who would be solid, stable adults. Now we've got kids who are going to have continuing problems that highly likely will not get addressed. It's very tough to get to kids uh, to address psychological burdens and challenges that adults have created. We need to have adults be adults in the room so that children can be children, to quote you. And we are doing a bad job of it. So now we're down to what have we done culturally to cause these problems? That's just one example in the last two years. We have done a horrific job of providing uh, good uh, mentors and role models for students when we have spent so much time, not that these are not important issues, but so much time at the margins talking about sexual identity and all kinds of uh, important issues of the day that for most students aren't particularly relevant. But we're driving all of the activity towards those, when I say margin, I mean the things that are on the edge uh, where it impacts a few people. Those people are still human beings and deserve our respect, but we have to have a balance where we don't stop doing the things that are fundamentally important to the society, and we've stopped doing those things. Is it important to have these conversations about diversity and interest? Yes, but if you do not teach the first principles of the founding of this country, you lose the country. You may have a very happy society, you know, full of its understanding of full diversity. Full of self-actualization. Correct. They, yes. they, full they, of my truth. They, 330 versions of, million versions of truth. You may have correct. that. You may have that, but you've and you've uh, only spent time on the sixth level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and forgotten the first five <laughs> that are fundamentally important to get to the self-actualization. And if we lose a society, the last shining city on a hill here uh, for us, then the rest of it won't matter. And that's where, when we attack gun rights and the Second Amendment, we forget, as I think Abe has ably said, and many of us have, that the Second Amendment is what secures the others and the full body of the Constitution itself. And to get into that debate over whether or not uh, the Second Amendment is about having hunting weapons as opposed to keeping a, uh, a government in check uh, that's what it's about. It was to make sure that the population could defend itself against its own government. Now, gee, is that just crazy talk? I'm sorry. Have you visited Ukraine recently? Have you seen what a society with massive weapons can do to its neighbors? Have you seen what Russia has done to its own citizens? And on and on and on. We as human beings are not very different from Russians. Nicely put. Human, yeah, nice, nice. Well done, Hugh. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. As we go to break, put in a word for balance of nature. Hugh and I are, because the weather is now right, back to running with each other. I'm fueled by balance of nature. I take it every single day. Pure, potent plant power. Boost your immunity, boost your health with 100% natural balance of nature. You take it once a day and you get a blend of 15 whole Excuse me, 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Balanceofnature.com, discount code BALANCE.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every Tuesday, Hugh Hallman is with us so long as he is in town. We'll do our best to keep him in town. It's a better place when you're in town, Hugh. Um, another element about uh, all of what we're talking about, young men, um, role models, of course, important, obviously. And I think we've taken a sledgehammer to that. You know, I'm, I'm always – Did you just call me a sledgehammer? No, I think we've taken a sledgehammer to role models. I, you know, C.S. Lewis, a lot of us like to quote that line from Men Without Chess. We make men without chess and expect of them virtue and enterprise and are surprised to find uh, – shocked to find uh, traitors in our midst. You castrate the flock and bid the geldings be fruitful. The title of the book that's in is always forgotten, but it's called The Abolition of Man. And I've always thought that was that was a hell of a great title. Um, I don't think we can have these discussions without talking about the import of fathers and families. Um, it's easy to blame a lot of society, and I think a lot of society deserves a lot of blame. But there were 18 years of something not going right here with this kid in Texas. And, you know, I mean, something must be said about this, I think. Anyway, well, I'll let you say you're the proud father of very successful young men. Go back to Sandy Hook and other things. Sure. You've got not just this 18 years with this one young man, right. but now decades of similar patterns with similar young men. Uh, and look around. We, have, we are reaping what we've sown. So it is somehow verboten to talk about the fact that uh, in education, let's just use that as the example, how do you determine whether or not a child is going to be successful? Well, I've run different kinds of schools, and uh, the issue always is, well, you've got uh, parents who are engaged in the school. Well, why do they choose to engage in the school? Because they've decided to engage in their children. And those who have sacrificed the time out, going out on dates, doing all the kinds of fun things there are to do in life, having made the decision to have children invested in them, and invest in them. The obvious way in which children are successful is the same obvious way in which families are successful or individual human beings are successful. If you create a family unit, you live with it and live within it, and you then commit to it. What's that mean? You know, you, you made the decision to have a kid, at least try to stay together until the kid is 18 and out of the house. And protect it internally as well as externally. Absolutely. Right? And, you know, do we That's have a... your polis. Do we have a rash of family violence in two-family households? Not particularly. We have a rash of, of violence in single-family households where children are often placed in conditions where they have to be cared for uh, by others, outsiders. In fact, one of the great sources of some damage to children and violence to them sexually and otherwise is through child care where the parents cannot be directly engaged. Now, that then means I'm, you know, judging people for failing to get married or stay married. If you're, you know, the three rules of life are don't get pregnant unless you're prepared to be married and hold that child. Don't do drugs and graduate graduate high school. I mean, those are the three rules in life. And we are screwing up on all three of them now. And it is now somehow socially improper to talk about the fact that children are better off in two-parent households. Children are better off when drugs and alcohol and other substances aren't abused. Children are better off if the parents have graduated high school. The parents are better off, but so are their progeny. 
to use a word you seem to love. Um, do I do I overuse that one? No, you don't. <laughs> okay. um, uh, but uh, inside joke, folks. And so, oh he, right, here you we. Ha- here, here <laughs> I'm we, slow. Okay, here, and you're not that slow. Here we are condemning ourselves to failure because we have now made social at- outcasts of those who would raise these issues as important to creating a society that is stable and doesn't have young men going into schools and killing people. Why is that such a problem? We want to talk about guns rather than the fact that the kid pulling the trigger is the problem. And the problem was created 18 years ago and throughout that 18 years through very bad parenting and bad environments. And that is going on daily now because we won't talk about it. Well, thank you for talking about it. Thank you for addressing it. Um, Let's do a little politics and how all this plays out politically going. What are we, five months out? from November. I'm Seth Leaps and he's Hugh Hallman. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people dig out a debt the right way, you know, by actually paying off the debt doing it with dignity. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors all in a secure and collateralized portfolio that helps their customers do just that. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by, as I say, really good people who are doing very well by helping others and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E. FY.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Local company, you can go visit with them, investyrefi.com. Hugh Hallman is in studio. Let's talk about how everything we've talked about plays out a little bit politically because of bloody crossroads where culture and politics intertwine. I was worried uh, initially that the leak of the Dobbs decision was going to change um, the political landscape. Um, I think it was overplayed. My best sense of it now is that it was overplayed by one side, and it's because of um, what, 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 what do we call it, because of crisis leapfrogging. It's already five crises ago that no one's thinking about. Maybe when the decision comes down formally, it'll, it'll, it'll re-energize and regenerate. I thought maybe um, the school shooting until I was put in mind again that Democrats typically don't do well when they go against the Second Amendment in an election year. I don't know if that's still true. Has anything over the past few months changed the landscape and trajectory of this uh, election, Hugh? Or is it still true? I never loved it, but it's hard to avoid the data that election after election does tend to turn mostly on the economy. Is that still dominant? And maybe that's not true anymore. Anyway, you've run in elections. You've helped people run in elections. You've got some thoughts on this, I'm sure. Uh, well, the last time I professionally ran an election or helped to run an election was 1984 for President Reagan. But good uh, one. That, that's you did well. You won I, 49 I, states. I, I'd say that's pretty good. And that was my secret was yeah. working in California to turn that one so it wasn't 48. <laughs> um, but the um, the answer to your question, I think, is first, do I think abortion and the Second Amendment right. are going to play out badly for Republicans right. in the upcoming cycle? Right. Yes question is how badly those those are issues on which crises have occurred that the democrats could exploit and do love to exploit don't let uh, don't waste a crisis now republicans do the same thing and in this instance it's the economy 
But the difference between abortion, which has been uh, a subject for 50 years, which has not really changed, and the lie, the big lie that Democrats convince themselves of, uh, that uh, everybody in the United States supports abortion. Well, you start digging into the data and you recognize that Nancy Pelosi and uh, her cadre are just wrong on the main point, which is that it is true that most people look at abortion and say there are instances in which I believe it appropriate. There are instances in the early term in which I believe it's appropriate. Hence, Roe v. Wade. We got to a point where most people got some comfort that if it's within the first 90 days or so, they could probably tolerate it. Not happily, but tolerate it. And in instances of uh, incest and uh, rape and other kinds of violent uh, activities towards women. But even in that instance, we're still talking in the first trimester. Well, it was Sandra Day O'Connor who pointed out very early on, this opinion will eventually kill itself because as science proceeds and improves the viability of fetuses early on, of unborn early on, it will eat itself. And so now we have earlier and earlier stages of viability that then eat this opinion. That is Roe v. Wade. She was right about that. She aired that carefully in many different contexts. Um, with that said, we've now got the Dobbs decision hanging in the balance. And the uh, you said it correctly in your opening that the replay of that when the opinion is finally issued will give the Democrats another round of opportunity. The same is true with the current gun violence problem. And although there won't be another round of it, the advantage Republicans have and the great disadvantage Democrats have is the Democrats overplay their crises more than Republicans do. Republicans overplay their hands frequently. And why is that? It's because the extremes keep driving the conversation on all these issues. And my biggest challenge in helping in uh, helping conservatives in campaigns was to keep them from overplaying their points and playing to the hardest group of their constituency base. That is not where ultimately you get elected in a general election. And playing it so far to the extreme uh, undermines the likelihood of succeeding in the general election. Now, are there safe seats where that doesn't matter? Absolutely. Wendy Rogers can be happy for that opportunity occasionally. But uh, the, in this state in particular... You look at somebody like Kirsten Cinema, the Democratic senator from the state of Arizona. We got two Democratic senators right now. Who would have thunk? And yet she has played it very close to the middle in her governance lately, making it very difficult for Republicans ultimately in a general election to unseat her. She has gone John McCain. Now, Republicans go nuts about John McCain in our own state. He only got 50 percent plus a little bit when he ran for reelection. It's amazing. One of the most powerful elected officials in the entire country in his home state just barely squeaked by with a primary election victory. But when it came to the general election, it was a landslide. That's our biggest problem for Republicans, but it's also the problem for Democrats. And the challenge now for Democrats is they're more extreme than Republicans. With the move away from Donald Trump going on, nobody's calling President Trump out the way a few people have, Jeff Flake and others, but they're backing away from them. Interesting article in the Washington in the Wall Street Journal 
identifying Republicans who have distanced themselves, and it included our own Governor Doug Ducey. I didn't notice that Doug Ducey had distanced himself from Donald Trump. I, you know, it's hard to see where uh, Doug Ducey has been on a lot of issues. But the reality is that that has gotten uh, noticed, tells you that President Trump's popularity is with the extreme edge of our party now, and we need to win in general elections. I think we will, but we can't take the risk and screw it up. Let the Democrats do so, but we shouldn't. I'm Seth Leitzen. We will be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Hugh, it is so good to have you back. I am delighted that you are back healthy and safe. I'll, I'll, I'll close with a thought. You raised the issue, the word extreme, extremism in the parties. And uh, it's an interesting word that has been leveraged uh, by one party against the other for a long time. And it probably started in earnest uh, in the famous uh, 1964 convention in San Francisco where you and I had a teacher who wrote a speech for Barry Goldwater. The famous lines might be the most remembered lines of any convention speech. In fact, I don't know if I can remember any other lines from any other convention speech. But it was extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice and moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. And what that professor of ours had to say about that was that it's important to remember it wasn't extremism in the defense of extremism. It was extremism in the defense of liberty. And when you look at um, when you look at the Democrats versus the Republicans, and I have this conversation probably as much as you do at almost every political dinner table I sit at, uh, talking about the extremes on both sides, I think the question becomes – Starting with what measurement? You know, we have people who are unabashedly unafraid to call themselves socialists in Congress. Uh, when I was growing up, there were none. Now there's probably about eight. And they have each of them had primary challengers. And I'm talking about your Rashida Talibs and your AOCs and your Ilan Omars. The Democratic National Committee and Speaker Pelosi and the DNs, uh, the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, they endorse the socialists and they endow the socialists. We do not. We do not endorse or endow. Look at who doesn't have committee seats. Our extremists don't have committee seats. Theirs get money from the National Party and the endorsements from the National Party. And I think you're right. Um, when it comes to looking at who tolerates the extremists more and who doesn't, it's only equal if you change the threshold of what defines extremist. You're with me, and the audience, I think, is with me. Socialism is still an extremist view of the world, and it doesn't belong here. And shame on the Democrats for endowing it so much. I'm Seth Leaps, and until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.